Hi. Yeah, thank you, Ame, for that warm and generous introduction. Um, hello, everyone. It is a privilege to be a part of the Orange City Literature Festival, and I thank the organizers for having me and my um, and my wonderful publishers at Speaking Tiger for connecting me to this festival. And I'm so very glad and I'm happy to have this time to speak on writing memory, the emergence of writers as, a, as the new memory keepers. As a Naga writer, there is a silent and yet deafening voice which pervades my written narrative, regardless whether I'm aware of its presence or otherwise, whether deliberate and with intent. My own voice nestles and finds clarity in this quiet yet conspicuous presence which is one that is collective in nature and manifests most, par most powerfully through the strength of memory. What I speak of is the result of a crossover which began as late as the 19th century, specifically the Naga's adaptation of the written word, our transition from the oral to written. And as with most stories, perhaps it will be good to start from the very beginning. And um, since my talk is with spe specific reference to being a Naga writer from Nagaland, a state in, in the part of this country, popularly referred to as the Northeast, please indulge me as I begin with, with a brief introduction about um, the Nagas for the benefit of the uninitiated. As is common knowledge for anyone familiar with the history of the Nagas, we did not traditionally possess the art of script. Historically, Nagas were a highly oral indigenous society whose main pool of knowledge and information lies with the elders. And so in the old days, knowledge was orally passed down from generation to generation through the art of storytelling. Our stories, whether to do with history, origin and migration, ancestral knowledge, belief system, ethics, important records pertaining to war, to peace, celebrations, any information of note, these were all passed down through the art of storytelling and through oratory in many forms. It could be through community storytelling with young people sitting around the herd with an elder for a storyteller, or it could be through songs, through prayers, through oral poetry known as givos, which were highly popular and quite um, common. And, um, you know, through proverbs, it could even be conveyed through dance. So um, traditionally, every Naga man and woman was a storyteller. And you will notice this while observing the way Naga elders talk, while speaking, a story or a myth or a folklore is always narrated. And in the old days, daily life was centered around traditional institutions known by different names in different Naga languages, um, Tehu, Kitsuki, Morong, etc. And all these were tailored on the basis of gender and age. And the adults, the menfolk, they had, um, you know, they had meeting places where they gathered daily to discuss important village matters. And for the youth and young people, um, they, uh, you know, they, they would uh, be divided into different age groups. And for them, there were different separate dormitories, male and female dormitories, which served as centers of learning and culture dissemination. Gradually, however, such traditional institutions ceased to exist with the arrival of the British administration in the 1800s and the American Baptist mission from the 1830s on onwards, which ultimately resulted in the Western system of education replacing traditional methods and the Indian incursion, which, um, you know, 
Consequently, the Indian incursion, which followed the departure of the British and propelled the Indo-Naga conflict, which continues to this very day, meant that what was important to sustain the cultural survival of a people had to take a backseat in view of other pressing priorities, priorities which came with several decades of conflict and political unrest, you know, turmoil in this long drawn out, um, you know, uh, long drawn out quest for self-determination. And furthermore, of course, in recent years, the shift towards globalization has had its effects on the Nagas as the gradual change in lifestyles has altered our way of life and thought patterns in this um, so-called, I mean, in this um, globalized melting pot, so to speak. And so um, worldwide, the culture of minority and indigenous groups, they, they, this, uh, they are always um, particularly vulnerable and constantly in danger of being undermined by globalization and the unjust yet growing propensity towards um, cultural homogenization. And so it is with a sense of urgency that um, that any community with, a, with an oral history take proactive steps into towards reviving and preserving intangible heritage. And so similarly, the value of, um, the value of oral sources in, um, for the Nagas and um, in other indigenous societies, they just cannot be overstated, you know, as the very foundation of our identity and heritage is rooted and built around the art of orality. And today, our oral narratives are sustained by elderly oral narrators who are also our memory keepers. But with the old traditional way of life, um, you know, gone and the belief system has changed and the oral tradition is no longer practiced, the stark reality is that with the passing of a dying generation of professional storytellers, um, they will take with them the bulk of information necessary for um, our cultural survival as a people. And this means that, you know, obviously we are at risk of losing the link to our ancestral heritage. But um, amazingly, however, hope for the Nagas came through the gift of the art of script via the American missionaries, um, specifically the Roman script, which gave shelter to the various Naga vernaculars. And so learning the art of script, it provided a way for us to help safeguard our intangible um, heritage. And in this regard, I must emphasize that this crossover does not necessarily entail a complete break from uh, oral or, or imply that script should replace orality. I mean, this would do great injustice and disservice to the age-old um, oral tradition. And um, nor would it be possible to adequately or sufficiently preserve the essence of the oral tradition if orality were to be discarded entirely. And so it is so very important to note that this transition to script, it only signifies a new uh, delicate balance where preserving the oral narratives and consequently and inevitably therefore, this challenge, you know, fell, it fell upon the concerted shoulders of knowledge holders and storytellers and scholars and writers to negotiate a way forward where script and the oral can complement each other and how each necessitates the other. After all, the very act of reading text oralizes it, as very famously propounded by um, the American historian Walter Ong. And this finally brings me to the crux of my talk this afternoon, which is how with the gradual passing of the last generation of oral narrators who had actually lived the oral tradition, Naga writers today 
um, are on their way to become the new memory keepers of a people. And obviously where we are now, urgent documentation of our oral narratives, whether in native dialects or in the English language, this is the first step towards preserving um, intangible heritage. And I sincerely believe that this applies even to fiction writing, especially when the story is told against the backdrop of the oral tradition by retaining tribal imagination and tribal identity, you know, that if um, in a way, if the writer succeeds in the telling, then the story, the tale could um, become a receptacle of memory and in the process offer, offer a link to a world which is in danger of being becoming wiped from memory. And, and um, here I would like to add that this is in no way to suggest or to infer that um, an indigenous writer with a possibly um, endangered oral history always has to write in reference to the past or that um, one cannot write about the unfamiliar, um, for example, you know, base the story in outer space or sci-fi or, you know, create a whole new fantasy world. I mean, um, no, of course not. That would be quite burdensome and restrictive. And it's certainly not how good, honest writing works, much less creative writing. I mean, one cannot um, direct or predict where the wellspring of inspiration or creativity and imagination should come from. But um, I suppose um, what I'm trying to convey here is that the, the past, the present and the future, they are interconnected and interwoven and um, just like the known world and the unknown world and the, the past, the past informs the present. And perhaps for a writer, having sound knowledge of the past can only help um, uh, the writer write about the present uh, and the future better and more effectively and with confidence. But of course, I can only speak for myself. Truth is, um, till today, I feel a sense of inadequacy in accepting this lofty appellation of a writer. And I feel quite self-conscious um, calling myself um, uh, a writer still. And, you know, I've loved sto uh, writing stories since I was a child, but um, but I wrote simply for the pleasure of it. And um, like many other writers, you know, I never seriously thought of becoming a published writer and I did not really think about my own writing so seriously. But and when it gradually dawned on me that, yes, writing is going to be, you know, a part of my professional life and this is what um, my life will be. It was only then that I became aware of this um, increasingly aware of this crossover and it is this voice you know the voices of the many memory keepers path which would help me unearth my own voice and so as you can imagine it's been a long journey of unlearning and relearning and I truly mean unlearning because my earliest stories were not my own they were constructed within uh, you know uh, tr you know the traditional Eurocentric framework influenced by mostly white writers who I grew up reading. And so this is why I often say that my early stories um, were a retelling of someone else's story because they had so little to do with the world I knew. And in that way, it was quite removed from my reality. Um, in order to be able to write my own stories based on my own worldview with where I come from as the center of the world, I had to first learn about my identity as a, as a Naga um, trying to understand better our history, our collect, our culture, our collective heritage. And to do that, I had to seek out and learn from um, oral narrators, the keepers of our memories and these memories, the key to unlock um, knowledge of 
our history. And, and then too, this re-education of thoughts, it began with a very important lesson, which is that before I could write memory, I first had to learn the art of listening. Um, just like reading and writing sustains each other, feeds off each other, so does listening and telling. After all, a storyteller needs a listener, and this was how the oral tradition was sustained for many centuries. And so um, listening, listening is the preparatory exercise which precedes writing. And I had to be patient and I had to be patient and know that if I wanted to be a storyteller myself, if I wanted to be able to tell my own stories and to write my own stories, I first needed to learn the art of um, listening, of paying attention and absorbing stories. And, um, and of course, I am still learning and this education, it continues. I write stories with a with a strong Naga base and the men and women in my stories, they are Naga or are people living in Nagaland and the society may be modern, but it is almost always it is quite steeped in tradition. And although my themes are varied, sometimes against the backdrop of history and politics and or sometimes incorporating myths and folklore or, or sometimes exploring the dynamics of human relationships, which um, which I love. I mean, I think human beings are the most fascinating creatures on earth and we have God's DNA in us. I mean, that's my personal belief. But um, although my teams are married, links the stories together, I hope, is that um, priority is always given to, the hum to human beings, to the characters rather than the uh, events. And so learning to absorb and to wield and write memory and the degree that it is necessary. It is, again, subjective to what I'm writing on. It is subjective to the theme of the story. And in this regard, one persistent theme in my stories is our uh, is history. And modern Naga history is synonymous with, with, with politics, with political unrest and uh, turmoil due to the Indo-Naga conflict. And this is one subject where the memories of oral narrators are especially interwoven into my own fictional um, into my own fictional characters and sorry and um, you know a wonderful aspect of writing memory is how much like inspiration you don't know how or when it will strike you don't know what you will unearth and you don't know what you might end up being moved to write on often if I am already doing um, background research for a story, then obviously I ask my oral sources specifically what I would like to learn from them, um, whether it's to do with folklore or belief system or ancestral spiritualism or um, history or whatever the case may be. But most times when I have the luxury, I like to visit elderly people just for the storytelling experience. And in a way, um, I'm sustaining the oral tradition by being the storyteller's listener not necessarily searching for something to write about because quite frankly, frankly, that's not always um, possible. And over a cup of tea and typical of Naga hospitality, always with something to eat, the storyteller tells me what um, he or she thinks I should know. And um, when I first started doing this, When I first started doing this, um, searching for storytellers and learning how to be a good listener, I was fresh out of college and so inexperienced that 
although I met some amazing storytellers who have left, lived such extraordinary, um, eventful lives, I couldn't make the most of the opportunity because I didn't know how to draw out um, stories. And, you know, an important quality of a good listener is the ability to draw out the right stories. And I also did not have the sense to record their narrations in audio. And often in my zeal to note down um, important details like, you know, logistics or details like dates or names or locations, I would end up constantly interrupting the storyteller in the process, interrupting the flow of the story, and then ultimately becoming a, a, a very absent listener. Or else, other times, you know, I would be too timid to ask the right questions at the right time. But now I know better. I mean, I know a little better at least. And so after taking permission, of course, I keep my recorder on and allow myself to easily embark upon a journey of unknown destination with my storyteller, going wherever he or she wishes to. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been nursing a cold the past few days. So, um wherever going wherever the storyteller wishes to take me and that's how I found myself being moved to write stories on conflict because initially I didn't plan to um, the thing you know, the earlier um, pioneering generation of Naga writers had written a lot about politics and and I was you know for some reason I was quite I mean I was quite resistant to this genre and um, I thought that I would be a different sort of writer and I guess this was mostly because for the longest time I had mixed feelings with regard to the perception which many readers, especially readers from the, main, from the mainstream uh, have, which is that literature from our region is one of violence and insurgency. And perhaps this perception has changed, but um, it was, you know, um, prevalent, I think, this way for the longest time and to a great extent, I, extent, I think it still is. And um, so while this perception is incorrect, obviously, as there is so much more to our literature than politics, I also realized that in my determination to stay away from politics, not to write on politics, I was also restricting politics, you know, by imagining that it could be something um, something removed from me, um, confining it to a mere ideology, a creed, a movement. And of course, it is all these things, but most importantly, politics is about people and now I understand that um, you know so many poets and writers from my region from our region have largely written on politics because of the innumerable lives it has devastated and destroyed and silenced and swept away and also perhaps there need not be a demarcation when it comes to political and apolitical issues because the humanity of writing it encompasses it all and so, um, although I naively insisted not too long ago that I would not write on uh, politics, on turmoil and unrest, the more I listened to stories by oral narrators, the more I felt moved to write such stories. And it, I found it so um, uh, moving that many a time when I asked my oral narrators, you know, when I asked them to tell them, you know, uh, whatever they like, whatever they think I should know, I would always, um, they would always tell me about their experiences, you know, um, uh, during the, I mean, uh, uh, with regard to the Indo-Naga conflict. And this is because many of the uh, storytellers who I, I had the privilege to listen and learn from, they belong to a generation who 
had witnessed the worst of the Indo-Naga conflict, um, you know, especially during the 50s and 60s. And although nothing was explicitly said, I found it especially moving and profound that it was so important for them that these stories were heard, that they have fulfilled the responsibility of passing on their experiences, um, their memories, which is also shared community memory, that they have not allowed these stories to die with them. And their stories are our stories. And many of these storytellers have passed since, but their stories and their memories remain. And these memories have inspired as well as are interwoven into my own, uh, my own stories. And my stories on conflict, they are, they are fiction, they are all fiction. But the thing is, when writing on conflict, the line between fiction and nonfiction blurs. Because while it is fiction for me, for another reader, for a Naga reader, it is lived reality. These are memories committed to paper. And so I guess what I'm also trying to um, say here is that stories choose us. They are bigger than the writer. Another, another theme which involves writing memory is um, spirit stories. A deep consciousness of spirit activity forms the basis of ancestral Naga spiritualism and the supernatural world um, coexisting with the physical human world is a normal part of life for a Naga. And this is a world I enjoy exploring through my stories. Sadly, this phenomenon, you know, the, um, the merging of the visible and invisible world, it has become increasingly unbalanced in the known world with its so-called modern belief system and um, thought patterns, which have, which has, um, push the unknown world to a corner and has left little room for the, for the unknown. And today, the, for, for many, the invisible world, it remains only in memory, especially in the urban areas like Kohima, where I live. But in my enthusiasm to unearth these memories, something that gives me a lot of joy um, is discovering that experiences are not confined within the elderly generation alone, but they reside in young people too, especially those who live in the rural areas and those who live close to nature. And this gives me a lot of hope that the young too are receptacles of memory and um, that they make marvelous oral narrators as well. For an indigenous writer with, um, with an oral history, writing more often than not, it becomes a complex exercise whether consciously or otherwise, we are blending the personal and the political and the individual and as well as community and private and shared experiences. And this all involves engaging with our rich, um, intangible heritage. And perhaps for me, the most empowering feature in writing memory is how it allows a writer from my background, you know, a so-called minority community, to be able to write um, within a framework of my own one that is distinct from the established traditional European model and also separate from the mainstream grand narrative, you know, the Bollywood model, if you will. Um, what writing memory further does is that it links the oral to script and in the process subtly yet effectively continues the legacy of telling and listening. And this is how Naga writers today have emerged as the new memory keepers of a people. And so I think I will conclude on this note. Um, once again, thank you to OCLA for having me and my warmest thanks to the viewers for tuning in and listening. So thank you and goodbye.
Vision Beyond.